Hello there, listener, and welcome back to it. You just talked right over. <laughs> to be fair, I didn't. The lag kind of ruined that. I said ready before you started talking on my end, so. Well, should we go? You go. Yeah, yeah, you just go. <laughs> Hello there, listener, and welcome back to another episode of the Cloak and Dagger podcast. This is episode three, and you are with your host, Will Davis-Coleman, and... And Patrick Courtney. How have you been, Will? Not bad, Pat. How are you? I'm good. Oh, you call me Patch. That's weird. Yeah, of course I call you Patch. Yeah, it's weird, though. I don't like it. You don't like it? I suppose I I do shorten your name, but no one ever says your long name, so... (laughs) No, yeah, William. That's a bit, a bit yeah, it, too Victorian, isn't it? I mean, maybe you should have it for this. This is a, you know, a highbrow historical podcast. William, maybe, maybe a bit better. Yeah, Doctor William. That sounds good. No, anyway. No, how was your week? Have you been up to much? Uh, you know, stuck inside as as we always are. Uh, yeah, of course. Can't really do much. It's got cold. It's got bloody cold recently, and now we can't go into places to see people. We have to stay outside. So you have to like yeah. huddle around a heater. That sucks. That sucks. Well, I've been um, delving into lots of Napoleonic history this week. Um, for Fun. I've been, re- Fun yeah, times. I know. I love it. Napoleon's a great time period, and I can't wait till we get to the episodes. No spoilers, but uh, there will be an episode on the Napoleonic time period later on in mm. the in the series. I feel um, like this, this is really a great describer of how you know you're a historian, both in job and. As a hobby, whereas I just like talking to to you about it. I don't, I don't yeah. <laughs> read historical novels as much as I said. Although I really should actually, because the few ones I have read, I have really liked. They're awesome. So, I really yeah. recommend the uh, Sharp series if you want something easy to start with mm. by Bernard Cornwell. Although what's the, what's the one that, what is it? It's like Napoleon, but with vampires Dragons. or something? Dragons, that's what it yeah. is. Yeah, I haven't actually read that yet. That was a, a I wouldn't call it a mistake, but it was a bit of a, a funny <laughs> choice. High fantasy mix of Napoleonic history. I think that um, sounds quite fun. It sounds, I know. sounds right up my street, yeah. It's like Game of Thrones meets Richard Sharp, so I'll, I'll let you know how that goes when I get around to reading it. Yes. But at the moment, I'm trying to read all of the Sharp novels, which of which there are 24 in a row, and I, I've been reading them oh, since yeah. May, and I'm on book 11. <laughs> is it just like... Is it just is it just like is it a proper historical novel that's telling you like what's happening from a like objective or is it following characters? No, no, you follow a main character called Richard Sharp. He starts off as a private and oh. so far oh, I he's see. a captain. Oh right, it's the Sharp Oh, I see. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's the whole Napoleonic Wars, so it's like uh starts in India actually, but it's like it's like twenty years of history. It's really good. If you like that kind of thing. Well, I anyway. don't know if I can like all twenty of them, but when you can pick the best one, then I'll read that, so Okay, yeah, yeah, sure thing. Um, For today, we're not actually talking about the Napoleonic history at all. Um, From last week, the Vishakanya of India, Mm -hmm. which was 300 BCE from memory. Yeah, yeah. We are now jumping uh, a good 300 years, or as much as 400 years, um, ahead in time. So we've kind of left the poison poison ivies of the indian empires and now we have moved to the height of the roman empire so um from as early as 6 ad is where we oh sorry 6 ce sorry common era not anno domini so these guys uh are called the sicarii and that is that literally translate from tra- translates from latin to mean the dagger men which i think is 
terrifying. So these guys uh, were operating in what was known as Judea, which was a Roman region, a bit like how uh, the British established Palestine with the French mm-hmm. after World War II. Uh, if uh, anyone's watched The Life of Brian, they'll fully understand Judea. Yes, exactly. <laughs> How it works, yeah. <laughs> um, and the People's Front of Judea and the Judea's the People's Front. Front. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, 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 not, not, not them, not those ones. No, they're um, assholes. So they were operating, um, as I say, in the time of the Roman occupation of the Middle East. Now, Judea is modern-day Lebanon, Jordan, Syria, and Israel, but for... Um, the Daggermen didn't seem to operate that far north. It was more Jordan and Israel, if you're okay. looking at the, if you're looking at a map. Um, mm. And just to put it into perspective, the Roman Empire at this point, um, its extremities reach as far north as Germany, and mm. I, they had just popped over to to Britain where we sit now, but not that not very successfully. Um, yeah. And and then over to the east, the furthest they were, were was Judea. So Judea was the frontier, if you like, the Edge wild the world, west. Yeah, mm. yeah the wild west of, of of the Roman Empire, although in this case wow. the wild east. What 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 I think is so interesting though is that um, just like in our first episode when we were in the same uh, part of the world when we were talking mm. about the assassins, as in Assassin's Creed assassins, this yeah. this part of the world has always been a melting pot. So there's always been conflict, even though. That was taking place a thousand years ahead of this episode's story. It's pretty yeah. much the same operating, uh, the same operations going on. Like you've got yeah. a foreign invader from Europe, and the locals don't like it. I mean, it is. It's the same thing. Yeah, it's, it's history repeats it's, itself. Well, it's, I guess it's. I mean, you'd say it's like where East meets West and stuff, but that's maybe a slightly Western view of things. But it's just, yeah, it's strange. It's obviously a, it's a prized land. Although it's, you know, it's this sort of time when this area becomes so prized by the rest of the world. I mean, the Crusades went there because of Jerusalem. And so it's... it's and it's because of Jesus. Yeah. Yeah, and it's such, a, it's such an unusual thing that these places that are so sacred to people because of the way people react to this sort of stuff and to how much religion plays a part in their life and how they're willing to kill for their religion, it makes this such a dangerous violent place when it's really should be a place of worship and presumably they want it to be a nice happy place but actually because it's just so prized for every religion well the, the big three um it just makes it such a dangerous place for throughout time even now even I mean, now bethlehem yeah. still has a, a an actual wall did you know that there's like a fortified wall around bethlehem wow God. yeah which I mean, is yeah, crazy we w- I mean, we won't dive into issues. No, we're not going to go into the current. Issues. No, <laughs> that could no, be a whole. That could be a whole series. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly, and a very murky series at that. We should leave it yes. where it is. Um, yeah. So for today, so, so, so jump back two thousand years ago to make yeah. it. So, so we won't be stepping on anyone's toes. Exactly. So um, let's just go back to the name. So the Sicari, uh, the name Sicari comes from the word for in Latin for dagger, which is Sicarius. And so that, that's what they were known right. as the daggers or the dagger men. And mm. uh, the Romans, I mean, I'm not sure how much you know about the Romans listener, but the Romans were very hard, hard, hard people and were very rarely taken by surprise. And when they were, they were very good at sort of countering that. But they, mm. with these people, they were terrified, absolutely terrified of the Sicarii. The Sicarii were wow. one of the most dangerous threats to the empire that they ever, ever, ever encountered. I mean, honestly, it was it was a it's really a... tough time. Wow, God, yeah. that's 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 big. I mean, for the Roman Empire to be scared, you've yeah. got to be 
Spartacus, essentially. <laughs> yeah, you would. Pretty, that's pretty big, yeah. So um, we don't know. Let's just talk about when they operated. So the Roman Jewish Wars, they were active during the Roman Jewish Wars, which started in 66 AD and ended in 100... Th- sorry, oh, 66 B... No, 66 Common Era and ended 135 CE as well. So you, you've got about, uh, what is that, like 70 years of conflict and there yeah. were four or five different Roman Jewish wars and conflicts that carried on. However, we only uh, we only know about them obviously through the sources that we have, and those sources claim that they were around much earlier than you know. By the time the Roman Jewish wars started, right. they already had a name, and a little bit like the Assassin's Creed, um, yeah, uh, assassins, we they would have been operating for you know, millennia before, or maybe not that long, but So we long know time. about them from this time period, but there's no guarantee that means that's when they were from. They probably started long before then and had been a, a group yeah. around for... For ages. Hundreds so, of years, maybe, yeah. The chances are that they were the, they probably started when the Romans first occupied the region, which was in 6 CE. So really uh, 60 hell. years before. So they were a very established mm. group and a little bit... Um, a bit, a bit like uh, the assassins of of a thousand years in the future, they they had the support of the people on on their side at least at the beginning of their time. So they were very much right. involved. Now, if you put this into Jesus territory, for want of a better word, <laughs> Jesus is Great born in, it, yeah. funnily enough, zero CE or AD yes. for that matter. Um, and so by the time he's so by the time he's actually doing stuff, he doesn't really do anything. No offense to him until he's about 30. So the historical record, sort of up to 30 to 34, he would have very much known about these people. So wow. Jesus and and his compatriots would have wow. known about the Sicarii. So that just puts it into the public. There's no right. reference to them in the Bible, I assume. Well, it's funny you should say that, and I know I'm going to be controversial here, but yes, Judas Iscariot may well have been a member of the Sicarii. No way. May, <laughs> yeah. When you say may have been, right? Is it just so, sort of? Let me let me explain. So Iscariot. Yes, yeah. So Iscariot is pronounced Scariota in Aramaic, and maybe right. a corruption of the Latin word Sicarius. So Scariota and Sicarius have quite a lot of the same syllables in it. And some historians have postulated that he was a member of this group. And that if you take that into account, and the fact that he then was the one who betrayed Jesus. Now, of course, if you read it from the Bible's perspective, he was evil or whatever. But if you actually Mm -hmm. think of it from a historical perspective, you had lots of prophets walking around Roman Judea. And the Romans would always like to undermine these these men and catch them at their own game by by soliciting their their followers and bribing them basically and this is what mm-hmm. happens in the story so if you take all the heat out of the the death of Jesus which i know is difficult for some listeners who are are christian and i completely understand if i'm being insulting and i apologize but <laughs> if you just see it cold in cold stark facts of history it's yeah. not that surprising that Judas Iscariot existed like he he comes across as quite quite human in some ways yeah you see what i mean yeah it gives him a bit more of a backstory um, as opposed to just being a traitor he's actually has this more of an interesting backstory where he is this member of this group who would be i guess not too happy with i mean not to, i mean not too happy with jesus or any prophets at the time yeah 
I think I think he uh, he could have just been an opportunist. I mean, history's full of opportunists. That's how how people mm. get ahead, you know. Um, but you know, I mean, that has been furiously debated by historians, and some of them think it's complete hogwash. It, it's such a it, it's such a difficult thing probably to discuss because it's so wrapped up in personal emotions, and there's also a certain amount of like it's interesting from a historical point of view but does it is it important enough to open the can of worms of dealing with people who ha- this is a, so meaningful to them and rightly so it would be so it'd be you know it's probably not something people want to get into too much unless they're looking to pick fight with people which is you know not very yeah nice. you've also got to remember who's mm. writing the bible as well yeah so the the, the early jewish scholars who are writing it would not have approved of, or sorry, the early Christian scholars and Jewish scholars would not have approved of a man like Judas. Because mm. also, you've mm. got to remember that the entire Jesus story, and I'll stop talking about Jesus from now on, but um, is based as part of this Roman occupation. So there's this occupation force, and so they're under, you know, they're under the cosh of the Roman Empire, which is mm-hmm. quite interesting. Now, let's get back to the Sakari. So the Sakari. Yes, there were lots of other groups, similar groups to them, who were operating at, at this time because the Jewish people did not enjoy being controlled. And uh, if you ever read, if you've ever read the uh, the Old Testament, the Israelites, as they were known, were incredibly yes. warrior. They were a warrior caste. They're always mm. fighting against the Philistines or against um, the worshippers of Baal or, you know, there are so many different wars. If you actually read the Old Testament, it's incredibly bloodthirsty. So yeah. in order to be a distinct uh, people, they, they earned, uh, earned that right by, you know, conquering it. As simple as that. Fought you their know? way to earn their right as a real people. Wow. Yes, exactly. So, it's so uh, not what we understand, you know, they're, they're seen as sort of... As, as, as kicked around and sort of so harshly treated but it's yeah it's obviously they would fight back and it's 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 something you don't really hear about i guess as much i wonder if that's just no that's very true actually when you think about jewish the way that we in in, in modern society interpret the jewish situation over the history of 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 the world the very first mm. thing that comes to mind is of course the holocaust six million yeah. jews died in the holocaust and that was obviously a horrendous attack on humanity and genocide mm. genocide of the jewish people i wonder if we were talking about this a hundred years ago whether we'd have you know it'd be quite interesting to see what people thought of jewish of the jewish uh, predicament before the holocaust because of course the, i i don't mm. know about you but the first thing i think about has to be the holocaust it's the first thing that comes to mind which is sad it's awful that that's the first thing you end up thinking about which is yeah you know, it's not it's not something you should think of and it's just unfortunate that is what's taught to us by more than probably any other part of our history, or I think a lot of countries' history get taught about World War Two and the Holocaust so much. Yeah, but I think that's a good thing too because, of course, it's the most it is, horrendous it, it thing. Is good, it's good, but war it's, crime it's sad that yeah, stops people. It's sad that we don't learn more about the Jewish people and these much more interesting and heroic things they've done in the past of being fighting their own way, and we only learn about this awful event that happened, which is the most recent perhaps. Um, but it's sad that we don't learn more about this. Yeah, and I Although... think also that this this time period is also, uh, when it is taught, it's taught from a religious studies perspective, which means that you mm. don't really see it as history. You, you you know what I mean? Like, you see it from the religious as- aspect, which is obviously fine. Yes. But actually, to, to interpret it as history is fascinating, for me anyway. Yeah, I yeah. Kind of it's it's interesting, cool. yeah, looking at this with a historical eye, as opposed to looking at it as the beginning of Christianity. You look at it as just an amazing time 
or such an interesting time in a very interesting place, which is, which yeah. is what we're doing. Which is quite fun. exactly. This is why we're here. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so according to one historian, David C. Rappaport, which is a great name, um, very good the, name. The way that the Sicarii were distinct from other similar groups in the region is that they primarily targeted collaborating Jews, which is a oh. really interesting fact when you consider what I just said about Judas Iscariot. Yes. Because that wow. wouldn't work, would it? Because he w- he was collaborating because he got a profit off the streets mm. if you see what i mean who could have been a, a an opposition to roman rule so it's so they're targeting people who are is it coll- only collaborating with rome then it's not yeah, just yeah. general yeah yeah it's 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 people who are on the side of rome but jewish people who are on the side of rome they're not targeting romans they're targeting ah. who they consider are traitors well no they are also targeting romans they don't okay. just okay. kill the Jews, but the thing is that other groups who are also targeting the Romans don't kill collaborators. But if you oh. were a collaborating Jew, the pers- the boogeyman would be the Sicarii. You would wow. not want to piss them off. So it's very so they sort of act as these sort of this this ominous threat to any Jewish person who would be willing to work with Rome or be yeah. on the side with Rome. Yeah. I, I have wow. to admit, I have to admit, having studied these guys in depth and obviously all these other uh, assassins cults that we've talked about so far, I find the Sakari the most terrifying. I find them completely crazy. And, yeah. and you'll see as we go ahead. So uh, if we just move on. So uh, how did they operate uh, in terms of what was their modus, what was their MO? Uh, mm. as, the name was suggest- as their name would suggest, they would assassinate their targets with daggers. And these daggers are known as seeker. And seeker daggers are ones which can be, they're like molded to the person's chest. So it's got a curve in the blade, which, right. as in on the on the sort of flat of the blade. It's not straight, it's curved very slightly so that it can be hidden against someone's mm. breast so you could have it hidden just against your skin and if you were patted down you wouldn't necessarily feel it so it curves so it's the flat side that curves it's not like very a curve. slightly it's not, like, it's not like a it's not like in the way that a scimitar curves along the along the straight edge it's the flat it bends over essentially yeah and i think what happens is it's slightly malleable the steel i think that's ah. all it is uh, it's very strong but the point is, is it can be concealed very easily against wow. your skin so that you can't see it and you can hide it very quickly. I if wonder you if there's, to. I mean, I don't know, but, you know, if we think back to um, the first episode talking about Assassin's Creed with the hidden blade, the idea is having a having a weapon handy that can't be taken off you or can't be found. It's kind of a very similar thing to that, isn't it? It's having this weapon that's, it's built to be hidden. It's built to be, I mean, because, you know, as long as you have a sharp implement, you can kill someone. Yeah, and having it so fork. it's more important of just making sure it's hidden so it can't be caught. That's wow, that's so great. Uh, that's that's scary actually. That makes them really yeah. Then they're, they're no longer these sort of warriors who are just running at you. They could be anywhere, and they could you could have no idea until yeah. they suddenly draw it. Oh. So at the beginning for the first sort of ten years, where mm-hmm. they had the they had real support amongst the Jewish population, and and not just support, also tremendous fear as well okay. and they, uh, they would uh, rely on the crowds of Jewish people to hide them once they'd committed their their assassinations or they also committed acts of sabotage they were much mm. more a sort of freedom fighter group maybe would I say it go as far as they're a terrorist group probably in kind the eyes of, of the fighters maybe 
Yeah, guerrilla fighters. I, obviously, history is written by the by the victors, and the Romans are our main source on this. Uh, I should actually mention Josephus, who's a very famous Roman um, historian, mm-hmm. is our main source on this, and he is actually Jewish. He was uh, oh. the secretary to one of the governors of Judea, and he so he knew about these people. You'd as almost well. think, though, given that he's Jewish, he would be take extra care to paint them as bad guys to his Roman superiors. He wouldn't want anyone to think he's in any way a fan of them or, or complicit oh, well, with them at all. Josephus was not a fan. Not a fan oh. at all. And also, like I said, because they targeted collaborating Jews, Josephus counts in that he group. Would be, he would be target number one, maybe, or one of the highest targets. Oh, Absolutely. He's writing about them. But he's writing about them. It's not like he's writing them. He's not, you know, he doesn't got a podcast talking about them. He's writing it for Roman records. Yeah, it's not, he's he's not like he's not like announcing it, so he wouldn't be no, maybe but as he obviously is, dangerous. Yeah, no, but he would have been seen in with the Roman camp. Obviously, he was always around them, so he would have he was not a popular man with the Sicarii, I had imagined. Now they would okay. um on unlike so you know how I was saying about how the assassins of of uh, of the Crusades would mm-hmm. normally strike at night or quite often would leave daggers in bed bedclothes and things like that they yeah, would strike yeah, fear yeah. And so on. yeah so this is not the way they did it uh the sicari <laughs> operated in broad daylight and in crowded areas so oh. you so it, a little oh, bit like hell. uh yeah you, you there was no hiding from them and also they dipped they quite often would dip their daggers in poison so i'm actually going to combine the first two episodes with the visha canyon hey, poison really, and the it really <laughs> is yeah yeah i don't think we've planned that but that works really well wow yeah so it's Oh, I can. I'm really seeing how scary they are. They are. I mean, it sounds very much like they are trying to be scary. You know, yes. operating daylight, not being um, clandestine in any way. They were really trying to stand out and scare people. They would, Ugh. and what the, what they would do is they would um, they would normally infiltrate uh, large crowds, like I said, and they would stab their victims and then blend into the crowds around them. So that's quite assassiny. And so then would walk it be because you mentioned before that they were that the Jewish people liked them, at least to begin with, would they then blend in just because they could? Or would the, or do you reckon there's a bit of the crowd being maybe, if it was a Jewish crowd, maybe not being too, not wanting this guy to be found? No, no, no. I, I Well, I mean, I'm speculating here, but I don't think they had the crowd necessarily on their side. They just used them to, to blend in because they looked okay. the same. Okay. I don't think there was a sort of mass rabble yeah. going on. Maybe yeah. the other thing is when we say the Jewish people, it was a very yeah. fractured society. Some people would have been very happy having the Romans in, and some would have been, you know, there's, it's a bit like anything. It's not. It's a very grey area. It's not yeah. like the Jewish people is a bit of a misnomer. Just saying, as one collective group of people, yeah. And I doubt they even thought of themselves as a Jewish. Na- there wasn't a Jewish nation. Mm. They were a, a bunch of different uh, peoples all roaming around the area. Uh, mm. A bit like the Bedouin tribes today, if you go to Libya, yeah. you, you don't have the same thing. Um, but what what was interesting, according to Josephus, they would uh, they would always target the holy festivals. So the Jewish holy festivals, such as Passover. Jewish holy festivals, wow. Well, yeah, of course, because you'd only have Jewish ones. Because you, didn't, you wouldn't have the Roman ones. Or I suppose you would. You might Actually, have no, the, the I, I assume that's what I assume that was what they would target, but it's interesting they go... After yeah. the Jewish ones. Well, Maybe because they go after the collaborators. More. Yeah. That's the yeah. thing. And also, you'd have a bigger crowd because the Roman ones would be sparsely... There wouldn't be so many people around, would there? Because yes. they wouldn't support the Roman And gods. you would have less uh, Jewish, but you'd have... The, the, the intendancy would be Roman, and it'd be much harder to hide in the crowd full of Romans than it would be 
um, full of people who looked and seemed a lot similar to them. Yeah, and also I I don't know. I think if you put yourself in the Roman shoes, I feel I don't feel bad for the Romans. They were I'm, I can't take sides here, but the Romans are trying to control a population that don't want to be controlled. But a bit like uh, let's say the U.S. forces in Iraq or maybe in mm. Afghanistan, there were certain um, local war chiefs and high priests who they could rely on to help them because they wanted a sort of peaceful. They had allies, yeah, 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 and it, so it wasn't the... a complete just distrust and a complete domination of the whole area. It was in working with other groups who would be more amenable to Roman rule. Yeah, exactly. And funnily enough, their first victim uh, was one of these collaborators, as I said. This one, the very first one, was a man called Jonathan the High Priest. Now, the High Priest in in um, Judea is a little bit like the Archbishop of Canterbury, back or the Pope, I guess, um, back when... Is it the, hi- it's the highest, then? The yes, John, Jonathan, the high priest. You don't have sort of anything higher than that. It's not a high priest. It's the high priest. Yeah. Yeah. Now we get this straight from Josephus. Uh, Josephus's history of the time. So I will. I'll. I'll just let him tell this next bit. So. Okay. The first to have his throat cut by them was Jonathan, the high priest, and after him, many were murdered every day. More terrible than the crimes themselves was the fear they aroused, every man hourly expecting death as in war. So, I mean, they're very brutal. That's scary. Uh, That's proper scary, yeah. Yeah, and you've got to imagine, the Jewish people are looking to their their local leaders and they want to see Mm. sort of stability and sort of, okay, as long as the the top dogs are okay, maybe we'll be fine. I mean, most people want to keep their heads down, right? In every conflict in history... The, it's the people at the bottom who want to sort of just go, I don't care about this, I'm just going to stay out of it. Mm, mm. Um, but when you see, like, your version of the Pope get his throat cut, and this was in the middle of Jerusalem, I mean, that would have caused such panic. And the reason oh, they wow. they murdered him was because he was trying to help the invaders. As, or rather, wow. they'd so they saw him. as... They, I mean, because... I mean, we've, we've spoken about it, but they, they are very religiously driven. They are. They see this as him as a traitor to their people and to their religion, because he's working yeah. with Rome. Wow. Exactly. It's just. It's so mad that also he describes it as in war. That that's how bad it is. It's that. It, it's it's not just hidden assassins in, in peace. This is. It's like being at war with a group that you can't see. Yeah. It's a, it's exactly. A, it's, I mean, it's, it is a war on terror, which is a bit weird to say but it is i mean it is yeah i think we can say this i mean they they were a terrorist group Uh, certainly if you take it from the from the roman side now Mm. maybe if you were in judea and you were being oppressed you'd see them as freedom fighters a terrorist and a freedom fighter which is to say yeah that is just it's just too it's how you see them it's how you view them yeah especially although especially as they are doing it in broad daylight and they are you know it's less like the assassins who are just taking out targets that are threatening them they're probably less like terrorists because they're not really... They do kind of do fear tactics, but it's not fear of the masses. It's not It's. It's not public displays of, of death and violence, yeah. But that's kind of the point. Josephus says it's, it's the fear that they created. And it works. It works for a very long time because they operate for a good length of time up until 135 CE. I mean, that's from 66 to 135... That's a long time, years, seventy yeah. years. That's probably three generations of life of lives just going through that. Yes, that's yeah. So that, that, that's people who would who. Oh yeah, it's just, it's weird when you have that sort of thing, and you think of like the middle generations who were born with this already being established and died with it still in full throat. It's not like something that 
goes away after and resurfaces in a different form. It is this, is this Sakari, and that's for, it for, 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 for people's entire lives. Yeah, and you can see why they would build up such a reputation in that time because they've got just, you know, people, pe- their parent, people's will be born with their parents telling stories about what the Sakari will do, and then they hear about a Sakari attack just down the road for them. You know, in the previous day, you, yeah, it's sort of it's a it's a fear that would never go away. No, oh, absolutely. God, these guys are really creepy. They are now. Um, interestingly enough, I I really start. I really wanted to find some other interesting. And it sounds bad, but interesting um, assassinations that they they committed. And mm-hmm. every source says, "Oh, they committed hundreds and hundreds of 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 people." And I I and go, "Okay, right. Let's look at the sources. Tell me where you see that." And I looked and I looked and I can't find any sources that tell <laughs> me apart from apart from Jonathan the High Priest. I mean, they did. I know they would have murdered lots of centurions and and just Roman soldiers and you know collaborators and things, but there aren't any other proper people that I can tell you they killed, which I suppose is a good thing. I'm not. I don't want to be too bloodlust in this. Um, but there is. We're doing one... a podcast about assassinations. I think there's a certain part of the course, but I yeah. guess it's also maybe they didn't assassinate anyone too big, and it was sort of smaller collaborated people they saw, and so. Maybe people weren't being recorded, or I mean, if it, especially if we're getting all this from the Roman point of view, maybe from there, it's no one they took note of. And Jonathan the high priest was the one they took note of, but yeah, because all the others may have been small-time collaborators who they they're not too upset about, but they're willing to add to a statistic. Yeah, yeah, but there was one other attempted assassination which I must mention, and this right. was when they tried to kill Saint Paul. Literally, yes, the Saint Paul. Saint Paul, the Saint Paul of yep. cathedral fame. And of cathedral the fame, fame, obviously. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, yeah. And and in Jerusalem of all places, in fifty seven CE. So when you think, uh, I'm pretty sure that Jesus is crucified in thirty four CE. So we're talking twenty three years after that. So Paul's quite an old man at this point, and mm. quite an interesting man. Not everyone likes him. Um, and he's quite a controversial figure because he does sort of help with... He doesn't collaborate, but he could be seen to collaborate with the Romans a fair amount. I think he saw the way that they... I think he was clearly a very educated man, and he mm. he saw them as a necessary evil, if you like. Yes. But of course, to religious zealots such as the Sicarii, this was a problem. So whilst um, he was going to be moved, but eventually the Romans had to move Paul out of the city for his safety because whispers were coming through on all of the Roman networks of, you know, informants that the Sicarii had marked his name. And so they were like, we need to get him out. So he was moved to Caesarea. um, But the Romans were clearly nervous because they escorted Paul with no less than 500 Roman legionaries. Wow. That's six cohorts. That's the best part of a legion for the first leg of that journey. And this is 20 years after the death of Christ. 20 years after the death of Christ, the Romans are devoting 500 Roman legions to to protect the... Legionaries, not, not legions. <laughs> Sorry, yeah, legionaries. <laughs> that, would be, that would be really mad. Um, yeah. But there's, yeah, it's it's 500, 500 of their men to, to protect, I assume, the leader of the Christian religion at this time. Um, he's, he's, one of them, first... an important figure. He was very one important, the... but it's extraordinary that yeah. Well, because if you kill, if you kill, if they'd actually managed to kill St. Paul, the mm-hmm. the um, the fallout 
from that, the fear and the other, mm. it would just destabilize a, a region. And this is only um, a mere decade before the Romans have a full-on Jewish war on their hands. With, wow. And so, th- so they're very careful. They don't. The thing about the Romans is the Romans don't necessarily want to. You, they don't want to deal with rebellions. They're expensive. Mm. They'd rather mm. just have got, you know peace. And they've got plenty of other ones going on throughout their history. So. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Pax Romana is what peace of Rome. The Roman peace is what they want. You know. Yeah, they don't. They don't want to be dealing with. And I suppose actually, if Saint Paul is more compliant with them, is willing to work with them, they would prefer that he survive and they stamp out people like the Sakari because who who would never work with them and will always call them tr- cause them troubles. Yeah. If they yeah. keep St Paul alive, they can keep his followers in line and they can keep them on side and avoid I imagine they were hoping to avoid what ended up being a war so yeah, it yeah. makes sense from their point of view, I guess. I, I think from about 57 CE, so when they try and murder St. Paul onwards, for the next, um, let's try and work out the maths here, next sort of 15 to 20 years, that was the golden age of the Zakari, if you're a supporter of them, of course. Um, I'm not saying that that was a good thing. But um, yeah. so from there, they then managed their big year, okay, their big, <laughs> their sort of D-Day year, was yeah. 66 CE because right. in that year they start the Romano-Jewish war and they start it well their events they cause events that that lead to the uprising of the entire okay. region um right. because they managed to sneak into Jerusalem and 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 actually take it they took Jerusalem from a roman occupied so imagine the romans have occupied this place with a full army Mm. And 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 these these guys managed to get in there and massacre the Romans in the streets, because of course Romans work better on flat open fields where they can mm-hmm. be strategy. You know the strategy comes into it and their military discipline, but not in urban street warfare like street fighting. That is much harder to do. And yeah. this is the thing. So these guys managed to massacre the Romans in the streets, and they and they were they were also killing. Jewish uh, collaborators. They, they, it was just like a murder squads going through the city. It was absolutely terrifying. Hell. Yeah. yeah. So this now, is their and this is their biggest moment, I guess. I mean, taking taking Jerusalem. That's that's big. Yeah, it yeah. is. Now they yeah. didn't hold it for very long, and I'm not surprised because basically, as soon as that happened, it's a bit like when uh, you know you don't want when you hear that Jerusalem has fallen. The Romans yeah. snap into and into action, but in the very same year, they also managed to take a very important place, which would become their headquarters, and it was a hilltop fortress called Masada, M A S A D A. Okay. And it seems, if you believe what Josephus says, that they managed to sneak up on the fortress, posing as merchants or shepherds. So they managed to get inside one of the largest. Um, fortresses in the whole kingdom, in the, sorry, not the kingdom, in the whole region of Judea, mm-hmm. and they surprised the Roman garrison. Now, the Roman garrison was seven hundred Roman soldiers strong, so that's a that's a pretty decent size, and they massacred every last one of them. So seven hundred soldiers gone, no survivors. And we don't know how many of them there were. We don't. We don't know, but um, there could have been as little as two hundred. I think I read somewhere. They caught them so, unawares. Yeah, it's interesting to know whether it would have been because that the way they work is hidden and stealthy. That they could, if they took the Romans unawares, they could have done 
a huge amount of damage without taking many losses. Or maybe they had huge, uh, almost an equal number and they just charged them. And, they, and but, you know, but, Romans not able to be in lines and formal battle array couldn't couldn't work, couldn't fight them, couldn't deal with them. They certainly seem to operate better in urban environments, this lot. They, they mm. make sure that they get into the streets. They get ugly. They're ugly fighters. Now, can you imagine being a Roman sentry on the gatehouse you know, of Masada, and you're saying, all right, come pay your bills. Do you have any any weapons? Any yeah. one of those people could be a Sakari. And clearly quite a few Ooh. of them were on that day. Mm. But you wouldn't know. Can you imagine the fear that must have gone through your body? Oh, it's terrifying. I mean, I, yeah, I mean, it's, it's just... really terrifying. Yeah. And then, but it's interesting that they obviously, yeah, because they would have, yeah. And they've got their blades hidden away so they couldn't be found and they look... As because they, you know, they were being able to blend into crowd, but they just looked like everyday farmers. I assume. I assume they weren't decked out in armor or anything like that. They would have been just, just men in yeah, armor. Yeah, there's not. Yeah, there, I doubt that they came in in like full armor. It'd be like watching a sort of film. <laughs> now, you'd think so. The Romans lose the principal fortress in the region, right? That can see for hundreds of miles and is on a top of a very flat, a bit like Table Mountain in South Africa. It's a mm-hmm. very flat-topped mountain and only one path up to the fortress, so it's very hard to siege. And also, it's large enough that you can get lots of stores up there. And there also has, I think there was their own, they had their own water supply, so they didn't have to leave. It was all completely self-sustained. Now, the Romans when they hear that they've got 700 massacred Romans, the Roman governor of Judea sends mm-hmm. the the legions over to try and reclaim it. Now, normally, the Romans would be able to, to beat a sort of, you know, beat off someone like that quite easily. It yeah. took them seven long years to retake that seven fortress. Seven years? Yeah. And Is it you know, because it's how good a fort that was? That it was such a well-positioned fort that... It was so ready to be resistant to an army that would be sieging it. Maybe not, you know, a bunch of farmers with knives, which is essentially what the Scarry are, but a, a full, even even Roman legions were unable to take this very well-placed it, fort. Yes, absolutely. I, I think it was more that Masada was such a tricky place to, to siege. Now, when they eventually break through, the people, we're told by Josephus that there were 960 Sicarii inside the fortress. Now, that appears to have also included women and children so you've got to remember these are families it's not just the men the women and the children may well have also had knives so are they like a are they are they sort of like a a a group that's more than just fighting soldiers or a a fighting rebellious group they are almost a community that they have their they bring their women and children with them i presume so yeah i mean Mm. we don't know is a a, short answer we have no idea i mean you'd think they would if they brought Women and children. I mean, I suppose if they're there for seven years, they'd want to bring their families with them. Otherwise, they'd just be stuck on a hill. Yeah. Now, uh, when they eventually do manage to get up there, they didn't surrender. It wasn't that they surrendered to their to the Romans. What they did was they ma- they ma- they committed mass suicide. Whoa! All really? nine hundred and sixty of them. The oh only survivors God. were two women and five children. So can you imagine the Romans get up to the gates, creaking mm. slightly on their on their hinges, and you walk through yeah. and you just see dead bodies. people everywhere. Can you imagine? 960 people. That is a lot of dead bodies. That's, you think of it? that's awful. That's horrendous. 
Yeah. And they just really, really just refusing to to have it taken, refusing to be defeated by the Romans. They'd rather die than, yeah. than surrender into Roman. Now, oh, this comes on to what they believe. So what they actually believed, their most important tenet, they, were, they had two things. The first was unbounded freedom. Unbounded freedom okay. was very important to them. A little bit like uh, the Assassin's Creed games, actually. They talk about how freedom is better than control. And the other thing is they saw mm-hmm. God as their only master and leader. Right. So they were freely and readily prepared to submit to even the most horrible deaths and to see their relations and friends tortured rather than accept human domination or foreign domination. God. So very so- similar to the assassins later who only believe on uh, in God and also their al-Mualim. You know, yes, the, the, yeah, they, they, they rejected these other earthly rulers. Yeah. But it's interesting that they're so... They're so- pro-freedom i mean in our modern times we see that as you know the assassins in the games and in lots of things if you're pro-freedom you are you're the good guy essentially but these guys are i mean it's hard to pick a good guy and a bad guy in this because you wouldn't really pick them but you wouldn't really pick rome either so it's i mean no they're they're, they're that brutal like i guess that's the unbounded freedom pure unbounded freedom is pretty chaotic and dangerous and bloody to be honest yeah it's not it's it, it's not quite a peaceful <laughs> world that is perhaps described in lots of in lots of other things. Oh wow! Yeah, and uh, but the thing yeah, is, can you also imagine um, what that story would have done as well? Because of, although mm. Masada was their fortress for seven years, they do go on. So this is um, it takes so sixty six plus seven is seventy three. So in, this is in seventy three AD is when they discover the massacre, right? This this mass suicide. They mm. continue fighting for another until one hundred thirty five um, CE. Sorry. So that is, an, they, they go on a lot further than this, but that was their heyday, those seven years. They seem to have done the most damage. And that story would have spread all through Judea. People would have known the Sicarii. I mean, that is, that is, it adds to their mystique and their legend. I mean, that's horrible and horrifying and scary and would have terrified all the Romans. That they and the be, Jewish people. And the Jew, yeah. I mean, anyone hearing that would be terrified. I'm scared. It's, 2,000 years later, I'm still scared of them. <laughs> yeah. Um, my last point on, on these guys, before I sort of relinquish the floor, if you like, is that the <laughs> um, towards the end of their time in, in, their, in their existence, they get more and more estranged from their sort of... They become slightly more insane, for want of a better word. They, uh, they start to carry out punishment raids on random villages, Jewish, Jewish people, they wow. just slaughter them and take their food. Go a bit food. off the rails. Absolutely. And eventually, uh, when they scatter, they scatter all over the place. So they pop up um, as far north as Constantinople and as far south as Alexandria in Egypt. Wow. Where they try another uprising down there and they get butchered. Um, but they have a way of keeping the populace on their side, even though it's probably through fear tactics rather than through anything else. Is, but they, is, yeah. is Alexandria owned by the Romans? Yeah, 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 yeah. Alexandria yeah, okay. so is a still, Roman. It's still uh, purely against Rome, against collaborators. Although, would it be, would Alexander be Jewish in any way? No. Nope. Or would they be, they would be against oh, well, there Greek been... and Egyptian um, collaborators with Rome. This is the thing. I think the Romans get very good at killing the Sicarii. So they start looking mm. elsewhere where the other Roman governors, outside of the governorship of Judea, who aren't so prepared to, you know, they're not so Wouldn't know to... what's coming. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Wow. I mean, so they just they just spread out everywhere 
and take on Rome where they... It's interesting, yeah, they change from this sort of a goal of of going against sort of Jewish collaborators to just fighting Rome wherever they can and just doing as much damage to Rome. Yeah, I think mm. the third generation, if you like, if we're talking about three generations yes. of Sicarii, they're, they, they've lost the reason for their initial grandfather's fighting and they're now just extremists just murdering i mean they're just murderous mm. thugs at this I, I mean i yeah okay it's hard to judge them because we don't know but from what i read they really start to just go a bit mad towards the end and then yeah. they die they were out already entirely. quite mad and quite murderous and violent and then they lost their their, their main ideals and just went crazy and went all Nuts. over the world but it's extraordinary that they can have this effect i mean it'd be so strange that whole area that you could have you know uh citizens of Constantinople and citizens of Alexandria knowing the Sakari name as these terrifying individuals who can target you and spring out of nowhere. This sort of like this anti-Rome group that spans across nations and across in the same way that Rome did. That it's actually they. they it's interesting that they, as Rome is, expands across the world, that their enemies will do the same and find them and root them out wherever they are. Maybe not hugely successfully, but it's interesting that that's a sort of knock-on effect of an expanding empire and actually your enemies start popping up everywhere not new enemies but the same enemies spreading out and attacking you everywhere yeah yeah so now for the closer look and this week we'll be having a look at the furthest reaches of the roman empire so patrick do you want to go first I can I can, I can go first. I can first. You can rest your rest your throat a bit. Um, <laughs> Thanks. So, as you said earlier, the Roman Empire had expanded so far, and we were talking about the eastern, the most eastern front of it being, you know, in Judea. You know, that's right on the edge. And so, I will be going all the way onto the other side of the world, but still within the sort of Rome's um, empire, all the way back to where we're from, Britain and the druids who are resisting them. So, yeah, so we'll try and not be quite on as on side of the druids. You know, they were... They, I mean, they're not. They're nowhere not near like the Sakari, um, but obviously we have it in ourselves to try and root for the druids. Yeah, um, go druids. So we're now in uh, 40 CE, so similar kind of time, a bit before um, the, the... What did you say? The D-Day day for the Sakari, the heyday. Um, but certainly while they're going on, and it's kind of like you were saying, you know, Rome wants peace because they have so many other areas they're having to devote resources to. If all the outlining regions and even the interior regions are rebelling, that's just a nightmare. They could never look after it. So a few, about 100 years or so before, in about 55 BCE, we actually had Julius Caesar in his first invasion of Britain that wasn't too successful um, okay. actually, I found that really interesting because I didn't think I even knew that Julius Caesar actually has been in Britain, which is quite yeah, weird. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He yeah, 100% yeah. was on British soil, which is quite a cool thing. Um, but his, he he's not too successful um, and he retreats. And it's so about 100 years, 40 CE later, that um, Emperor Cladius, that there is this new renewed invasion of Britain and they take over the majority of what is now England. Um, they get over a lot. I think a lot of um, Wales don't obviously get as far as Scotland. That's where they build Hadrian's Wall, which is a bit later. Um, so yeah, so you've got this Roman occupation, very similar to the Sakari, very similar to Judea. You've got the Roman occupation of uh, sort of ancient Britain. You've got Britons living there, and you have the Britons or the 
sort of Celtic people, and they are very much led by Druids, who are these spiritual leaders, sort of very uh, mystical, and they they I, they they pop up across Europe. They're from these different areas, and they're these people who, no matter where which clan you are, which group you're part of, the Druids are seen as these important figures who everyone listens to. They could go to, they could two you know huge clans are about to fight, and a Druid can rock up and talk them both down because they both have to respect oh, really? the the right yeah the druids they're, they're pretty pretty cool and pretty amazing and because it's so interesting because they're not really part of any groups that they'll have they'll obviously be members of different clans and stuff but they're such a different group of people that they are and they all meet together and discuss how the different tribes should work together so they're a really interesting bunch and rome that is really like cool yeah because and it's kind of similar to um the sakari and the collaborators but the druids aren't really on hand to collaborate with Rome. They, they've they been forced into submission elsewhere in Europe and elsewhere in Britain. But in particular, where the, where the Druids still hold sway in Britain and Rome doesn't, is the island of Anglesey, which is northern Wales. Ah, um, yeah. It used to be called Mona, was the, it was the name they had for it. But yeah, so if you've ever been to Anglesey, and this is a seat of Druid power... Um, it's a very mystical place. I've never been there. I now want to go cool. there. Because apparently there's lots of druidic... They have lots of stones. They're kind of similar to sort of Stonehenge type things there. Um, and I think there we are still... We should go. I think there are druids druids who currently live... Because it's like um, Stonehenge. The only people who are allowed up to Stonehenge are druids, modern-day druids, because it's a very important part of their culture. So... At this time, uh, the governor of Britain was a man called Suetonius Paulinius. And he decided that these Druids were too big of a threat. The native Britons who were unhappy with Roman rule would sometimes, you know, if they weren't caught, they would flee their territory and end up in Anglesey because it was this sort of protected area. The Druids were kind of seen as this strange, mystical, scary, otherworldly... Um, people that a lot of Rome were kind of scared of. They didn't really want to mess with them because they thought they were into human sacrifice. There's no evidence they were, but you know the idea of them was so powerful that they thought that if they go there, they'll cast spells on them. Um, and you know these Romans who are already far from home don't want to yeah. don't want to mess with the Druids. Um, no, so, but would you? I wouldn't. <laughs> I wouldn't. No, it'd be scary. But Suetonius decides enough's enough. We need to destroy. Um, Anglesey, we need to take it over and 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 remove this other leadership role um, within Britain. So he takes his legion and he heads to Anglesey. And there, there is a, it is an island. So there is a, it's a short strait that separates them, and okay. they need to get over quickly because they don't want the druids to settle in. And the druids themselves are old wise men but they obviously have a lot of warriors a lot of clans who will be willing to protect them because they are sure. so important to the britain's culture and so they build the romans build these flat bottomed uh boats so they can quickly get over the straits without having to mess around and wait for a navy to come through or you know or worry about any anything that can slow them down they need to get over quickly and they do that and when they get over they are they are met with a horde, is probably a better way to say it than an army. This massive gathering of clansmen and warriors. And it's and actually I've got a great quote um written oh, cool. by uh, Tacitus, who is one of the another similar to what was the guy you, you said, the your Roman historian? 
Uh, Josephus. Josephus, yeah. It's interesting, we always get, uh, all these time periods, we get what we know from the Romans. Um, and so yeah. a lot of this is a lot of this history comes from Tacitus, and he wrote down. And actually, he's quite Love close. I think he has an he has an uncle who was actually at this battle. Oh, cool! Um, so he should know pretty well. It's not quite first hand, but at least there's immediate second hand at least. So pretty good. Um, but he describes it as a dense array of armed men with women dashing through the ranks like furies. The druids pouring forth dire imprecations with their hands uplifted towards the heavens struck terror into the soldiers. So they form up and you have these druids sort of chanting to the sky with their hands raised up, looking like they're about to summon down lightning and thunder and like godly power onto the Romans. And then not only do you have these wild clansmen-styled warriors, you also have women running through. Um, And this terrifies the Romans. They are shitting themselves because they've never really, you know, the, the armies they're used to facing are just soldiers, they're just men and it's a normal battle, but this seems scary. And apparently it's not even the Druids they're so scared of, it's the women because they're just it's just so foreign to them. They they're not used to fighting this. women, yeah. Um, and they're really stuck and scared. However, which you know, works for a time, but the Romans are able to rally themselves. There's a few great speeches by the leaders, um, or as Tacitus says, who knows what actually happened. I mean, maybe they, maybe they were. I reckon they just charged. <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe they just charged because they were scared. But apparently, there was a, a rousing speech, a sort of Lord of the Rings style speech to um to get them going. And again, in Tacitus' words, they bore down them, smote all who opposed them to the earth, and wrapped them in the flames they had themselves kindled. Oof. So, and it, so it's a bit of a last stand for the Druids. It's not quite as successful um, as. But they sort of were martyrs, I suppose. Uh, they were very martyr. much martyrs, and they really they fought to the end, and they and they terrified the Romans. And there's also there's a slight benefit they do because while they're doing this. Um, and they've distracted Suetonius, and he's taken a huge amount of his soldiers up into Wales. He has unfortunately left other parts of um, Britain exposed, and a rebellious warrior queen at this time decides to rise up and rebel against Roman, who goes on to be Queen Boudicca, which Ah, we won't get into now. But it is, yeah, so these druids have distracted the governor long enough that actually Queen Boudicca's rebellion wouldn't have been so successful if they had hadn't, to, without the druids, and, oh, you know, see, that's a different type of sort of um, warfare, isn't it? Compared to the, yes, the Sicarii, yeah. very different tactics. Yeah, very so clever, really. Yeah, and that's so it's sort of it's it's kind of interesting. Yeah, it's not it's not assassiny in any way, but it's it's just another example of the the oppressed and the and the dominated the um, people that Rome um, had gone round and been so awful to rising up and fighting them no matter what. And it's sort of a similar story to the, um, to the hilltop fort you talk about where they were willing to die for it. They were so resistant to Roman rule. They didn't want to be uh, subjugated in any way. And there would have been lots of Britons who would have been subjugated and would have been fine and would have been happy to, as it was in, in Judea, would have been happy to join with the Romans. But these were the concentrated groups who were so resistant and they, they defended their island, their ancient um, mystical homeworld, homeworld, um, mystical center of power. But yeah, and it's this kind of last stand. And although they failed, um, they were able to let Boudicca succeed a bit more. Unfortunately, she also kind of goes the same way. And actually, um, Sutinius eventually is able to defeat her as well. So 
but again, it's this 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 effort, this this rising tension. It's these, it's a struggle. That's the thing. It's, it's a struggle, struggle against yeah. uh, against an oppression. So for my close look this week, I had a look at how far south the Roman Empire ever actually made made Ooh. it. Yeah, which is kind of something people don't really think about when they think of the Roman Empire because I don't know. It feels like it's a Mediterranean. Well, it is a Mediterranean Empire. At first, yeah, and I mean, then they, obviously it they've went got north. such an easy route to everywhere just because of the Mediterranean Sea actually going across land. You can't, I mean, the images of it, it's a very wide band. They don't go too far north or too far south. Yeah, but they do, they get quite far north because they get up to like all the way up to near Denmark, I think. I think they even might have reached the Danish border, something like that. They did really well and, and they were trading with Scandinavia, but that's beside mm. the point for this closer look. Where for this, people think, okay, well, people might think. Rome has Egypt. People remember Cleopatra, Mark Antony. Shakespeare helps with that, obviously. So, mm-hmm. but then, is that where they stop? And how far into Egypt did they get, sort of thing? And actually, they actually got quite far. And really? the furthest they ever got was in 61 CE, which is when Emperor Nero was in charge. Okay. And he was a barrel of laughs, as we both know. <laughs> um, and he wanted world domination. Of, I mean, most emperors did. <laughs> more wanted... than all the other emperors of Rome, he wanted world domination. Yeah. And well, he wanted. He knew of a place called Ethiopia, right? But Ethiopia isn't the state that we know today. Right. To him, Ethiopia meant everything, or to, to people in the ancient Roman world, was everything below Egypt. So he wanted sort to of... basically see if he could conquest in africa it's like more mainland africa africa that hasn't been uh sort of converted to like greek because so much of egypt is 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 influenced by greek culture i guess ethiopia is everything below that where you get into proper africa yeah yeah but they didn't know they didn't know i've been down there that's the thing so they you know they didn't have access to also ethiopia is just a catch-all term for everything over there it's like exactly exactly it's like it's these sort of vague names that we have of other places the new world was yeah, the entirety yeah. of the americas you know it's like that anyway so he wanted to know if it was possible to invade ethiopia um and so he he just he didn't know quite what was down there so he decides to send his own guards the praetorian guards so the elite soldiers of rome on an expedition down the nile because Ooh, cool. romans the romans had obviously Egypt and the Nile is basically Egypt was built on the river delta of the Nile because that's yeah, where all the, yeah. the land is so he was a bit like right okay I'm sending you I, and we don't know who he sent we get this from Seneca uh, that's where the source is from he sent he might have sent possibly as few as 10 guards 10 imperial guards wow. um, and, and with obviously local guides as well and but they wanted to make it small because the whole point was they're not meant to sort of this is a reconnaissance mission right so I mean, uh, I'm just I'm just getting sort of flashbacks of Lord of the Rings. It does feel like a fellowship <laughs> to explore. I mean, with that small, I always thought you, it was going to be like, you know, a, a legion or something like that to investigate. It's literally just yeah, a, a team. I mean, I'm surprised this hasn't been turned into some crappy. Film. Yeah, I mean, this sounds Genuinely. like an amazing tale. I know, and, and it's something that I've never heard of either until I looked into it. Um, but basically, long story short, how far down did they get? Well, they got as far as modern day sudan which is pretty wow. good considering pretty, how far yeah. south that actually is if you look at it on a map they got quite far down um but what stopped them was something called the sud 
S-U-D-D, the Sud area of the Nile, uh, which is in present-day South Sudan. And basically what it is, it, it literally means in the native language, I don't actually know what the language is, it might be Swahili. Um, it's in present-day it means... South Sudan. I'm just, yeah. I've just brought up a map. That's really, I mean, that's in line with Ethiopia, of modern-day Ethiopia. So that's really far into Africa. Yeah. It's getting close and... to almost like, well, maybe not halfway, maybe a third into Africa. That's very far down. It Good really is. But the Sud literally means barrier in the local language. And it's basically a massive swamp. And when I say massive, try 30,000 square kilometres. Oh, fuck. Wow. Yeah, yeah I can see it, them. That, that's quite a barrier. That's quite a Yeah, sword. and when you think that the Sud is on to its never reach other week, its western edge has the Sahara Desert. And on its eastern edge, it doesn't really have an eastern edge. It just basically goes straight across. There's no way you could have got through it. Um, And so it just means... The thing is, it didn't just stop the Romans. It also stopped the ancient Egyptians, who you could think of being slightly more... I mean, they were there for a lot longer, obviously. Mm. They couldn't Mm. expand south into equatorial Africa either. Wow. So Rome got as far as... I mean, I imagine that's that's probably why they got so far. They were able to, you know, stand on the... On the the giants that came, that essentially Egypt, and you know they probably used guides from Egypt who could make it that far down, but as soon as they stopped having the help of local guides, who you know they themselves couldn't go any further south, a bunch yeah. of touring guards but may not have been can, able to do it as well. What I find fascinating though is like you think of like Christopher Columbus or not Christopher Columbus, whoever was Eric Eric the Red, let's say, who's going to find <laughs> the new world, right? Yeah. It's the same with these guys. They have no idea what's waiting for them at the end. They have absolutely no idea. They're just being told to look south and walk and see how far you can get. And and it must have been quite frustrating because the Praetorians would have been stuck in this big marsh. And I bet you they would have tried to get in as far as possible and realised mm. that it was just going to go on and on and on and on. And so they had to turn yeah, back. You have no idea how far things go on for. And the people there might not know, you know, even people who live in that area might go, yeah, that goes on forever. We've no idea what's yeah. on the other side, if there and is could, anything on the other side. And think about it, like, mythologically, they might have thought it was the beginning of, like, the River Styx or, mm. you know, towards the, the edge of the world. Like, yeah. it literally, you know, you've no idea. I mean, I don't know how far people would have sailed around Africa. So I don't know if, you know, I guess it's... It, it, they're still well, very Mediterranean based, so they have no idea quite how big this continent is. Um, no, because and, and to be fair, neither do. Every time I look at a map, you know, a map does not do a flat map does not do it justice how big Africa is because it always shrinks it so much. But I know. It's just because so, it's interesting oh. that because they did make it all the way because they found Roman coins in India, so merchants were getting through the Red Sea and going out that way, but they didn't necessarily go into the middle of Africa. No one did that. People went around the coastline mm. if they went mm. at all. And I'm not even sure if the Romans did that. But just to finish up, the, the the death of Nero died seven years after this expedition. And there was going to be a second one. But because of his death, um, it marked the furthest south that the Romans ever ventured because that was it. They, they, the funding never came through. You know, there was no need to go that far south. It didn't they seem didn't to find, go that well the first time. They didn't, yeah, yeah, they didn't find anything that could be particularly particularly wealthy, which is actually a shame because actually, yeah, you start getting into those further um, southern areas of Africa, you'd probably start finding all sorts of things, all sorts of riches down there, like the sort of Portuguese found later on. So they could, yeah. it, it, but it was just they were unfortunately placed. I mean, Rome's pretty fortunately placed just in general, but be having 
all of the north of Africa, having the Sahara Desert in your way of getting to these richer lands to the south. Um, I mean, it's a good it's, thing they didn't re- reach that far south because it maybe was it is exploitation, a good war, <laughs> and uh, I think it's actually good that there wasn't. Yeah, Africa got a few more hundreds of years before you know the re- the rest of Europe decided, hey, we can come down here. There's rich stuff down here. Um, but yeah, so there you are. So that's how far south the Romans got. They got to basically not quite the route of the Nile, but they basically followed the river as far as they could until they hit the Sud, and that was it. Turned back route. and went north. Simple as that. So do do we know if the if the Praetorians returned or did they die out there? Yeah, no, no, they returned because they oh, wrote well. about them. Seneca doesn't say they died out there. Um, so they return, but they did. It's of no consequence because you know it wasn't. Inter- it might have been interesting at the time for them, but it hasn't lasted through antiquity to modern day. That what happened, you know, no no one wrote down those stories. But can oh, you imagine sh- how many stories? Such a shame. I, mean, I wonder how long it would have taken. Months probably to get as far down as they did. And mm. so all of those adventures, I mean, it's just, it's prime for proper, like, either just a good documentary, but mm. also I can see a film being made out of this one day. I mean, you'd just, you'd, you'd hope. I mean, the, the the strange world they would have run into um, is just, it, it, you can't, I can't imagine. It would be us exploring new planets. That would be, that's yeah. the only comparison you could make because you've no idea what you're going to find. Mm. Um, but even almost even less than that, because I don't we now reached a level of technology where there's at no point we would be exploring a place we haven't seen high definition pictures and images of for years ahead of time. There's no chance we'd go somewhere, whereas these people would have only at most heard stories yeah. of what's out there, which, you know, will be embellished or inaccurate or, you know, they wouldn't have believed them or is said in a different language they don't understand. So there's no it's... way they would know what they are walking into. Walking yeah, the, the into strange, the great unknown. That's the strange the world they would have run into. And I guess that's yeah. kind of the, the story of the Roman Empire. I mean, other than all the awful parts of it. But the good part of it is the these travellers who explored the, the furthest reaches they could and the strange places they visited, like Druids or like Sakari or like Marshes, all of which they, they were unable to tame. Yeah, that's the thing. I think that's where... That's that's the beauty of talking about the extremities of of the empire because it's so, it, it encapsulates so many different cultures and different environments, you know. Yeah. Wow. So yeah. Anyway, guys, thank you so much for listening. That was a really um, I really enjoyed that. I'm sure you did that too, was, Patrick. Yeah, good episode, fun episode. Don't forget that we're on social media. Uh, you can find us at at Cloak and Dagger Podcast on Instagram. And uh, you can also like it, uh, like us on whatever podcatcher that you are listening to us from. And please leave a comment because it really helps grow the channel. Uh, and if you don't want to do that, tell tell your dog, tell your mum, tell your cousin, tell anyone. <laughs> and um, please join us next time where we will be discussing. Patrick, I think it's your turn. So what what are we talking about yes. next week? We will be hurtling forward in time um, into the 1700s which is the 18th century. That's right. Hey, hey. Always yeah. have to double check that. I hate, it's the most annoying thing. I understand why it's that way, but it's so annoying. But yeah, we will be hurtling forward in history and pretty change of location as well. We'll be looking at a, a, a murder at a masked ball in Sweden next Ooh, week. Looking is, forward to it. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a cool tale. But yes, so thank you everyone for listening. And yeah. 
hope you're enjoying this. Um, we are. As much certainly. as we are, yeah. This yeah, is yeah. Great fun. I mean, even if none of you are enjoying it, or none of you are even out there, I'm enjoying just talking to you about history because we've been doing this for years and it's great fun. As am I, man. All right. See you next week, guys. Bye. See you next week. Bye.